This is The World in 10 with me, Toby Gillis, and the Sunday Times assistant news editor, Rebecca Myers, on a bit of a strange day for us. Yes, we thought it was worth giving listeners an idea of what it's like in the office today, because we're not just covering the news, but we're actually making it. We are, yeah. It was a pretty normal day until mid-afternoon, and then we found out, only frankly just before it broke out across the world, that Rupert Murdoch, the chairman of our parent company, News Corp., is to step aside. Yes, Mr Murdoch's influence globally has been huge. He has led this media empire for 70 years, but he said the time is right for me to take on different roles. He's now moving into a new position within News Corp and Fox Corp as Chairman Emeritus and will be succeeded as sole chair by his son, Lachlan. Yeah, as well as the Times and Sunday Times, the group heads global publications like the Wall Street Journal, the Australian, the Sun and the publisher, HarperCollins. And Mr Murdoch has released a statement saying... The The battle for the freedom of speech and ultimately the freedom of thought has never been more intense. And of course it's covered in depth on the Times site and app, so head there for more. And in the meantime, we'll get on with the episode. Picture the scene, a swimming pool, a nightclub, pool tables, even a mini zoo. (laughs) all in one site in a lovely temperate climate. Sounds great. Is Rebecca Holiday doing some sort of (laughs) all-inclusive? Well, until yesterday, (laughs) you could probably have gone for free if you were prepared to commit a heinous crime. Right. Uh, Because it's Venezuela's most notorious prison. Yeah, less tempting. Well, exactly. This is Tocaron (laughs) Prison, run by inmates, headquarters of the country's most notorious gang, Trenda Aragua from where international prostitution rings, human trafficking, massive extortion plots have been organised for years. Yeah. Yesterday, though, Venezuela, for the first time, got tough on them. 11,000 security forces. Imagine that. Mm. Armoured vehicles going into a prison to seize control. Little detail of the operation is known. We don't know how chaotic it was, but pictures of the aftermath show inmates sat quietly on the ground and then loads of weapons and ammunition seized, and it was a relatively peaceful scene. So this is Interior Minister Remigio Ceballos saying this has been an operation where we have guaranteed the life and tranquility of the people who live around the prison. We've managed to guarantee the safety of the prisoners, as is their rights, and now they are going to another prison. But why now? I mean, this could have happened any time in recent years. Three theories presented by the Times' Latin America reporter Stephen Gibbs, who spoke to me earlier. Next year, there is a presidential election. President Maduro is trying to clean his image a bit. And one way of doing that is to, you know, show he's tough on crime. Another theory is he's been impressed by what's been happening uh, in El Salvador, where the president there has done an extremely sort of hardcore act against criminal gangs and has become very popular as a result of that. And another theory is that President Maduro is just back from China and one of the arrangements he signed there in China would be uh, free trade zones, including an area close to where that prison is. So it might have been, you know, the Chinese could have said, you need to show that the state is in control in these areas before we sort of get really seriously involved in major investment in the area. And that 
El Salvador's suggestion certainly seems plausible. President Bukele has approval ratings of around 90%, apparently, and commentators in the region have been waiting for other leaders to follow suit. Yeah, politically, it does look a good move, although Bukele's policy appears to have come at the cost of the human rights of El Salvador's population, with suggestions that arrests are now being made there at just the merest hint that a crime may be committed. Will the policy spread? I guess only time will tell. When you think of the biggest suppliers of weapons to Ukraine in the war, you might think of the UK, the US, but you might not necessarily think of Poland. The neighbouring country, however, has been a major supplier of arms during the war, becoming one of the country's best allies. Yeah, but that has now changed. Poland has announced it's going to stop supplying weapons to Kyiv because they're involved in a row over grain supplies. Remember, Ukraine's economy is heavily dependent on grain exports, but because of the war, they've been unable to get it out in the usual way. So they want support from their neighbours. They do. But Paulina Olzanka, a Times correspondent in Poland, told us some of the countries who might offer an outlet won't. Last Friday, an existing EU ban on grain imports lapsed. So Poland... Slovakia and Hungary have all unilaterally decided that they will impose bans on Ukrainian grain crossing their borders because they're worried that a glut of Ukrainian wheat will affect the local economies. So that's the official reason. But of course, where economics is concerned, so are politicians. So is there a hidden element to this decision? Paulina says it does look that way. We're heading into a parliamentary election in Poland in mid-October and the government is very worried about splinter populist parties that are honing in on disaffected rural voters taking away votes. We also need to remember that the Polish government is currently beset with a number of different domestic scandals that no doubt they're worried will take voters away from them. And some commentators have suggested that this, this entire fracas with Ukraine has been about taking away uh, voter attention from what's happening within the country. And you can read more analysis on this story from all sides with a digital subscription at thetimes.co.uk. Now, athletics fans will know Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Norway's middle-distance running megastar, and you might have watched him fall just short of the fastest ever mile recently. Yeah, now, arguably, a more important mile record has passed him by two, by actually a far greater distance. Ingebrigtsen's brother has revealed he managed just 5 minutes 22. That's almost a minute off the global best for... The beer mile. (laughs) Okay, so maybe not more important, but if I'm honest, Rebecca, when I'm drunk, there's no way I'm running in a straight line, (laughs) let alone a whole mile. So (laughs) I'm still impressed. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't run 5.22 stone cold sober, obviously. (laughs) So it's, yeah. I mean, we should probably explain that Jakob was running this test of endurance, shall we say, (laughs) (laughs) on his stag do. Four laps of the track, a beer after each one, and that time is still obviously pretty quick. He beat all of his mates by some distance, possibly unsurprisingly. So whether he'll now take up the challenge of the world record holder, which is a Canadian called Corey Ballymore, um, who has called him out on this, uh, remains to be seen. Yeah, and um, if you want to try it, by the way, Ballymore has actually got some advice for potential challengers. 
He's revealed the secret is, and I quote, a lot of burps in the first 100 metres after each beer or the gas you guzzle will make you throw up. Believe it or not, this story really is in the Times. Now, far be it for us at The World Intend to ignore the content of a story, but... Is that exactly what we're going to do here? Precisely, yes. Uh, We could tell you that King Charles has become the first British monarch to address the French Senate and that he spoke about climate change and Ukraine and bilateral relations. But where's the fun in that? We all know that you want to know, as we did, the answer to one question. Is his French any good? Exactly. (laughs) Let's begin with a snippet, shall we? Don't... La longue amitié qui lie nos nations uh, et nos peuples. Notre partenariat construit sur une expérience partagée demeure absolument vital alors qu'ensemble nous confrontons les défis de ce monde. Pretty good, right? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, he was reading it, but who wouldn't want notes for a speech in a second language? Fair. Certainly, and we are not ones to judge by any stretch. No. But the Times' man in France, Adam Sage, is. The French for the UN is l'ONU, and he was pronouncing it ONU. Uh, so the U, I would think that a, a French teacher, a very strict French teacher, might have him practising up his U's, um, which are very difficult. I also noticed that the king tended to pronounce his H's. Well, they, you don't really in French. So these are really very, very de- small details. Um, um, and, and on the whole, I think we can be, feel very proud to have a king that, that speaks French on this level. So there we go. Well done, King Charles. And it's fair to say from us today, c'est tout. Adam, well.